Welcome to the Picking Up Rocks podcast. Today, we're joined by Louise Baker, CEO of Starlight. Louise is here to discuss the importance of innovation and storytelling to propel an organization forward and putting its mission straight front and center. Louise shares insights into their innovative approach to improving children's hospital experience and highlighting the power of accepting failure and fostering a culture of continuous improvement. Continuous improvement, whatever that may mean, sounds a bit corporate speak to me and you can sort of gloss over that. But when you pair that with where Starlight has come from and their story, I think it really gives gives strength to that statement as where Starlight were onto something when they started, which was a superhero entering children's hospitals a good 40 years ago and being able to lift the spirits of kids going through a really hard time and give parents and families and their children something to really look forward to and a moment to share. Louise's team's also been pioneering and ahead of the curve of really understanding how mental and physical health um, are intrinsically connected. And as their story and as science has progressed forward, they've been able to sort of tie that together and, and really prove their value and worth in a hospital setting. Um, and we see that a lot more going on and forward, but Starlight have been able to continuously improve that experience for young kids and, and create a breadth of programs. And you'll hear Louise talk about this as we go in. So without further ado, welcome Louise Baker. Lovely to be here. One thing I wanted to ask straight off the bat was, what's the challenge that's happened in your helm? You've been there for 20 years. What's the biggest sort of challenge that you face while leading the organisation? I know it's a big question, 20 years is is a time. Um, But if you could pick Um, one and how you've overcome that, I'd really like to dial in on that. Yeah, well, look, look, I'll too. I, I, I'm one of those people that says um, you you had me at crisis. So um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that um, that you know really challenges you. And I had been at Starlight and returned to the corporate world. And my my life started in um, uh, FMCG, fast moving consumer goods marketing and mm-hmm. advertising. Um, uh, before I came to Starlight, and then I was here for a number of years. Returned to the corporate world, and um, and returned as the CEO. And when I came back, it was post GFC, and the global financial crisis. Um, back then, we were um, uh, strongly supported, or, or the bulk of our support was from uh, the corporate area, which was interesting because prior to my leaving Starlight and going back to corporate world. Um, I had I wasn't the CEO then I was um, uh, you know head of marketing and fundraising but it was one of those uh, areas that I had looked at and thought we need to this is high risk because when you have all your eggs in one basket and you don't have diversified revenue that's always risky so uh, what happened with the GFC was that really highlighted that because uh, corporates uh, when the global financial crisis hit. Um, started pulling money everywhere. And the first and potentially easiest for a lot of organisations to pull is their corporate support, their community support. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, that kind of dissipated. And I returned to Starlight and uh, there were some there were people issues, people weren't clear around their roles and I took the time to really listen to every um, individual um, and to, and I, I initiated some steps there. People weren't committed because I think the team here had gone into a bit of lockdown um, and communication wasn't flowing and then people just make stuff up. So what we what I had to do in that moment was uh, listen to people 
and move um, and it took it took a while um and what i what i did in the first instance because i found there were people who were you always get people within organizations who are disengaged who don't want to be there anymore and in these times of stress and no communication happening it's not unusual for these this to kind of to happen within organizations but sometimes those people it's time for them to leave and so i was very clear i moved very quickly to getting clarity around what was our mission um, what was our vision? Um, what was everybody's individual role in that? Because role clarity for a person, they have to know what they're part of. They also have to know, you know, what's the destination of the bus they're hopping on? And I use the analogy of I want everybody on the bus and I don't want anyone who's got one foot on the footpath at the bus stop and one on the bus because you're slowing us down. I want everybody to be firmly in their seats with both feet, you know, in mm. front of them. And I went out to the team and, and we shared all this. So transparency, communication, transparency mm. was absolutely critical. And then I said, we need to have everyone sign a commitment canvas. And it was about this, a positive starlight experience for all. Mm. And I and we sent out clear canvases right around the country. And I said, and if you hesitate for a moment as to why you don't want to sign this, maybe you need to think about why you're here. And the good thing about that is those people do think because sometimes their love of our purpose and mission um, overrides the fact that the role isn't right for them at that moment in time. And the thing is, if they leave, they can still love Starlight and they can flourish somewhere else. And then you get a, an individual who's right for that role and loves it and also loves Starlight and the purpose, but then they're better in that role. So it's a win for the individual who leaves. It's a win for the organisation they go for. It's a win for Starlight because then we get someone better in it, you know, that's more suited in that role and it's a win for the new person. So, But sometimes people get into that mode of I've got to stay here because and, and even when they're trying to, they're spending most of their time because they're disengaged, trying to get other people into their little disengaged corner. So, you know, it's it doesn't, you know, it doesn't help. So, so that's something I did. I used a lot of symbols. So um, I talked about that lack of communication one of the things I did early on was I was hearing all this stuff, you know, around the, to use an American term, around the water cooler, but, you know, that those corridor myths that spring mm. up within an organisation. And I'd hear them and think, and they're the ones that I was hearing. So what I did was I opened a channel called CEO Connect and I went out to people and said, okay, um, you, there's lots of questions I'm hearing and I want to answer those questions. And if you have that question, don't think you're the only one. There's another one, two, 10, 20 people that have that same question. So ask it on this network, CEO Connect, and I will respond um, publicly within 24 hours and answer the question. So that gets all that that white noise out of the way because people tell you those questions. And the questions, some of them you think, how can they even possibly think that? But they did. So you could answer it very quickly and say, no, that's definitely not happening. Or yes, it is, but it's, it's you know, the, not that amount or whatnot. You know, whatever yeah. the, the answer was, but we did that really quickly. Also found that people weren't connected to our purpose. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous, um, but there, when I returned to Starlight and only been gone for 18 months, there were some people who'd started after I'd been here who hadn't actually been in our program themselves, you know, at the coalface of what we do kind of thing, which I found remarkable. And so we started a program which still exists to this day, so to CEO Connect, um, called Get Connected, which means that every person who is part of the Starlight team must spend half a day every quarter 
working in one of our Starlight programs with the children, with the family, in the hospitals, wherever. Um, and what this does is, you know, if you take that, abs you know, the impact of Starlight away, we could be any other organisation. And then the business burdens of, oh, I need to get that finance report done or I need to get that dashboard done becomes the overwhelming thing. When you have the purpose, you get the energy to do what you need to do. Um, so, you know, connecting people to the impact of Starlight was really important. So we did that as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, I came back. We had, when I left, we'd always been on the increase. I returned to double-digit declining revenue mm. in the GFC. It took 18 months to kind of trough out and return, return up to that growth and to get the team committed. And we went from a team that was disgruntled, not aligned, not engaged, to becoming a great place to work quite quickly within a few years. Mm. And it's the absolute focus on your people, which I think is also something that every business has to have because every business, and I've worked still bulk of my years in the corporate world, um, every business is about people and relationships. That's what's at the core of every business. Um, <clears throat> so... Once you need, you need to focus on that. And I'm always amazed when organisations don't. Because mm. you can look at a P&L as long as you might. Um, and yes, you might be able to change things in the short term. But if you want to actually have long-term growth, um, a high-performing team, a creative, innovative team, um, you, that's, that's what you need to be focused on. And that yes. will change every business metric. Mm. And you've really seen that firsthand so much in that, Louise, thanks for sharing deep on that and hearing where you're coming from the GFC there and how you took the reins and, and lasting legacy, I suppose, on that approach. There's a lot of questions around that in terms of, did you get lean to begin with? But I think to then go out of that, like, did many people get off the bus? But something while we're there, I feel like is important for a lot of people who may be facing a similar a similar place in sector right now or or fear base where they are a non-for-profit and they are working with a balance of revenue streams that play into philanthropic and then they play into obviously revenue that they've generated themselves but as we're heading into economic hard wins now what do you see do you see a very similar approach that you're running here or you've obviously built that culture so what's put you in good stead for now and how do you see playing out with any challenges coming forward. Okay, a couple of things about that. Um, when I um, returned into the CEO role post-GFC, I think it was um, uh, 1.26% or something of our revenue was recurring. Mm. Now over 40% of our revenue is recurring. So growing that group of monthly donors, that's primarily that's where it comes from, but also mm -hmm. some of our corporate relationships are multi-year. So moving into that um, so that you don't start from from, you know, ground zero um, every January or July whenever your financial year starts, you know. Mm. Um, so I think that's important. So the diversified revenue stream really helps us all sleep at night. The other thing that happens with financial crisis in times of financial hardship is that um, often that doesn't mean that um, support for charities decreases. Mm -hmm. It can sometimes mean that people have a heightened uh, awareness of, gee, things can be tough and I'm doing it tougher. But people, humans have this innate ability to go, well, I'm doing it tough, but 
there's always someone worse than me. I see this all the time from children and families in hospital. You know, children who are diagnosed with horrific illnesses and you talk to the parents and they go, oh, yeah, but we're relatively well. There are other children who are far worse. And you think, oh, my goodness, you know, your three-year-old child, your five-year-old child, whatever, has been diagnosed with X, Y, Z, whatever it is. It's horrific. They're going to be undergoing terrible treatments for, you know, 18 months, three years, whatever. And as humans, they've all grabbed onto the bit that's positive in that. Mm. You know, that, that it, it, you know, the, it could be worse. So um, I'm hopeful that um, as, the, well, I'm hopeful that um, our economic hardship will, will turn around. <clears throat> I'm not saying I'm forecasting that. I'm just hoping. That, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, I, you know, that, that governments around the world, markets around the world rally and, and can make some changes to help. Um, and that during this time, people do think that, yes, this is challenging for us, but there are other people out there who face other challenges. Mm. And so it doesn't necessarily mean, in fact, historically, as in times of hardship, often giving increases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And uh, I feel like a key piece for you there is is obviously communicating the message and, and the results heavily there and, and bringing mm -hmm. that donor. But yeah, obviously diversifying is massive. Um, if people aren't, it's, it's a unique time to be doing that. Um, one question I had is who has the mic when it comes to telling the stories at, at Starlight and how does that work in, in terms of telling those impact stories with, with, you know, children like, and, and those experiences, how does, how does that work? And, um, have you had any opportunities where kids can share those, their impactful stories of, of positivity? Cause I know a core, a core belief and a cornerstone or maybe just the, a big flag in the ground for you is positive psychology and how that, Everything how, yeah. yeah. So how so, that so, yeah. so, well, our mission at, uh, our, our mission at Starlight is to brighten the lives of seriously ill children and young people. Um, key to that and has been from day one, and you spoke to this earlier on, we were really ahead of the wave about the fact that your mental health and your physical health is actually kind of one and the same. And, and they're linked and, and um, they work together um, or against each other. Um, and so I think that um, uh, one of the things that we did was we were ahead of the curve of people recognising that your mental health and wellbeing, your resilience is absolutely critical. Now, I don't mean all people. There were a lot of people who were really onto this very early. But there were others who were really feeling that it's just all about the physical and what we do to your body. As we moved over the years, We've been ahead of that. And we didn't call it positive psychology back then. But uh, 12, 13 years ago, we started working with the Positivity Institute and the science of post-psych. And it is what we build all of our and create all of our Starlight programs on, but uh, also based on the, uh, the feedback from health professionals, because we partner with health professionals, with the children, the young people, the families, everyone with input because mm -hmm. we listen. I think listening is a great skill that we have here. And so we were doing this for all of our programs and had this moment of to be an authentic organisation and to enable our team, we should train our team in post-psych. So we started doing this 13 plus years ago and one of the first organisations in Australia to do this. So all of our team 
is trained in positive psychology and the tools of pos psych because we all go up and down you know it's okay also to be sad at moments etc so it's not about us all walking around smiling and ridiculously agreeing to everything everyone says it's actually <laughs> about creating an environment where you're all positive but you have really robust debate to get to a better outcome but the debate's never personal it's about whatever you're discussing Mm. Um, and that means that positivity gets you to a better position. But it means that if our team, we truly did it for our team for how they perform in life, because if they can be the best they can be at home, then that gives them their best shot of bringing their best self to starlight every day. So from a pos psych perspective, it's, it's, it underpins everything we do with the children and young people, and it also underpins everything we do with our team, and it enables us to have a positive team. I talked about Get Connected before. One of the key parts of Get Connected is to connect those people as individuals, but it means I talk here about the fact that every person at Starlight is part of our program delivery, no matter what their role is and their, pro their program creation. So because I don't want a person in finance to think um, or, you know, uh, my, myself to think that I'm not part of, of delivering the that um, transformation that a child experiences in hospital. That's not just the hospital team that does that. Every person at Starlight does that because every role is critical to that being able to happen, whether you're in the fundraising team, whatever team you're in. So every person at Starlight needs to feel part, that they are part of the program creation and impact. And so that's why uh, Get Connected is important. They also need to be ambassadors and part of our fundraising because ambassadors who share stories, whether it's at a dinner party, at a family barbecue, on a sideline at a soccer field on the weekend, when someone asks that question, what do you do? I want all of our team to say, every day I work for an organisation which changes the lives of sick kids. I was in the Starlight Express room last week, last month, whenever, and I want every person at Starlight to have their own story and their own anecdote. So no one person here has the mic. Mm -hmm. Every person has the mic because mm -hmm. every person has the power in that moment to influence and share. And when a person goes into a Starlight Express room, and it can be something small, like you just stand at the door and you see a child who's not been in this space before, who's recently been diagnosed, and they're wheeled in in a wheelchair with an IV drip or however they come into the room. And you can tell, like, children never should have their shoulders down, you know. But you see a child with their shoulders down, you come in and you see them start to lift as they see the Starlight Express room and think, wow, this is different. Captain Starlight greets them at the door, starts interacting. And to see that same child within 15 minutes, roaring with laughter, completely forgetting where they are and why, that's what we do every day. And so I want everyone at Starlight to be able to say, I was in a room last week, I was doing craft with a child and what the mother shared with me was, you know, this was the first time her child had smiled since they were diagnosed three weeks ago because the first time they got into the Starlight Express room or when they smiled was when Captain Starlight yeah. walked through the door of their room uh, on the wards and started interacting with them because... We do a lot of work on boundaries and being invited into space and, and child-led play and interactions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, our Captain Starlights can tap into that. And also our live wire facilitators. They're completely different to Captain Starlight. They they support the teens in hospital. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and sometimes, you know, there are sometimes our Starlight Express rooms are no kids under 12 allowed because it's a live wire experience. And those teens who are in hospital 
need to have those moments where there's only teens around, no adult, none of those boring adults and none of those pesky young kids. It's how they learn their social skills. And if you're in hospital while that's happening, um, you you shouldn't miss out. Mm. There's so much in that, Louise, and thanks for going deep in there and lovely to hear um, how that mic is shared and how everyone can is empowered to tell their own story. And to, to go on top of that, we moved to a new area and uh, a, a neighbour came over to pick up a pot plant. This is anecdotal, but uh, and he came over and we're talking about kids as, as new people trying to figure out each other. And he mentioned Starlight because he was talking about my kids. I asked him about his grandkids and uh, he said he had a, a young child and they fell ill and the, the spirit that this young child has had to just have that positivity was immense for him and like a real, I suppose, beacon of hope in his life. He's very able body, very able person, but he sort of leaned on her more than the other way around because of her spirit and what was the adversity that she faced and the attitude that how she faced that. And and the story goes a little bit further there and this might have been cheeky from, from him, but it sort of speaks to a point that I've when I look to Starlight or an organization like Starlight and the stories that they tell and the impact that it has, it seems to go further out than just the sick kids. I feel like a lot of people okay. are like that neighbor who who do lean on those those that spirit and and look to that as inspiration. But he took his another, uh, I think it was another grandchild from a, another sibling and because he was complaining about life and he said, well, you come to Starlight and have McDonald's down in the um, area where people interact. So they'll fly on the wall from what I understood and and watched, watched moments of, of children's interaction in that space who were facing, you know, health adversity. But the spirit that they they held there was was amazing and it really it really hit that child who was very able-bodied and everything and uses it as a reference point. But the reason why I tell that story is how much do you come across that as an organization and, and how do you balance that or do you use that? Because I think the world needs positive affirmation stories, but then that's a lot of weight for children to have to bear. Oh, no. um, uh, we're cautious with children, but we do we do um, capture moments yeah. and it's, it's generally... Um, the parents speaking, the children, but what we've had great success at doing is using children, using people who are now adults yeah. who were starlight children mm-hmm. because we've been around for over 30 years. Mm. And so, you know, um, and there's some great examples of that. Uh, so uh, Nathan Cavalier was one of our very first starlight wish children. He became very famous as a young child on the TV program Hey Hey at Saturday. And uh, his starlight wish was to meet Mark, was to, to play guitar with Mark Knopfler, and uh, and he did that. Nathan has a really um, successful music business. He writes jingles and and songs and etc. And so uh, and he comes and he will speak and he will speak about the fact that what he learned from Starlight as a child when he was going through cancer um, has helped him. Um, uh, when his mental health is needed support as an adult. And he's now a father of two young children. And he's still, and, you know, we're still in contact and that's amazing. And so he, Nathan sitting in front of a group of people and sharing his story is really powerful because it's inspiring because he's come out the other side. And often if you have parents talk about what's happening because they're in that moment, they're, they're full of the grief and the fear of 
what's been the, the diagnosis. Um, we've got lots of other people who are like that, that, you know, uh, Dylan Alcott mm. was a Starlight child and has come and spoken to, um, you know, at Starlight events. He actually raised money by playing tennis for 24 hours straight for Starlight once, which was much tougher than I think even Dylan thought it was going to be when he started that. So, and, and your point about, you know, it impacts the community, but changing that child and, and having that child more positive and happy and giving them back their childhood and a chance to be a child, it impacts the child, their siblings, the mum and the dad, the grandparents, the community. It, it impacts the community mm. in which that, the school that that child goes to. So you're absolutely right. And because we've been around for, um, you know, over 30 years and because last year we created 1.9 million positive starlight experiences, you don't have to go far in this country to hear that story. So whenever I speak at a... a um, a conference, whether it's a, a sector conference or whether I go and speak at a corporate, every time, you know, when I finish speaking or while I'm speaking, sometimes people will put their hand up while they're speaking and share that they were a starlight child or their child is currently a starlight child mm. or someone will come up after I've spoken and tap me on the shoulder and say, I just want to share with you, this is the impact that starlight has had on our family. So yeah. it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, so hearing you, the the power for for people to talk to the impact of Starlight once they've come through that whole the whole process, I suppose, of their health, and then realizing that moment and what that was gives a lot of weight and gravitas to sort of sharing that story wider and around that impact, and has probably contributed. Uh, immensely to the way Starlight has managed to grow in sector and managed to sort of really prove its its worth and value within the health in in among sort of very more clinically backed uh, methodologies. I was wanting to hear what are some of your. In, I know you're big on innovation, but what, what's one of your innovation stories that that stands out to you? And maybe if it is around storytelling, it would be of interest to this podcast. Okay. Uh, well, I think I think one of the innovation is something that needs to be owned by everybody in the organisation. I'm not a believer in that's the innovation team over there because the innovation is any change which adds value. Okay, every person can be looking to do that every day. So it doesn't have to be a big shiny new thing. It can be simplifying something so that instead of having uh, to click on 24 tabs to find something, you only have to go twice. You know, that's that's an innovation. Um, and subtraction is really important too. Um, you know, there's a lot of chat about um, addition sickness. And so you've got to make sure you're not just keep adding things because sometimes people think that that's what you've got to do to improve when really you can take things away and that improves. So we have a really strong innovation culture here at Starlight. We've been creative since day one. So, you know, we've been creative and innovative. You know, the thought of Captain, creating a character like Captain Starlight, creating a space in a Starlight, in a children's hospital that um, is, is unique in the world. And so uh, we've always had that innovation and creativity bent. And what we do now is we have over 30 team members who are trained in the Inventium uh, innovation framework because there's actually a process and, and way that you can then uh, uh, address innovation within the organisation. 
So, because people often will jump to solutions straight away. And it's like, no, if you actually hold yourself back and just think more about the problem and do a bit of a scan and audit at what's around, what's happening, and then start that process of ideation, you often get to a better solution than the one you think of off the bat. Um, so I think that, um, that that's really important that you, you have that through an organisation. So one thing that uh, happened during COVID was we had on our list for years, actually, we'd been wanting to, we thought that the idea of having um, a national kind of online Starlight Express Room interaction would be beneficial uh, versus the fact that at the moment they're running each of the, they're, they're independent in each of the children's hospitals. And, uh, and we thought that if we could create this, you know, children could uh, connect in with that more broadly. But what we're always lacking here, because we're a charity when lean is, we're always lacking the resource to get to that. So it might be on your priority list, but you don't get there. COVID gave us the gift of time and resource because our captains were reduced in their hours in the hospital. And what we did was we were able to flip teams onto things that were on those lists that we never got to. And so, and it was also the time when we needed an online Starlight Express room. So we had the real driver there for the need as well. And so we we moved some additional resource onto that and we trialled a minimum viable product of this during COVID. You know, something that we, a program we put together, I always say, with spit and tissue paper. And so that was the quality it was. So it looked really slick, but there were so many people behind actually doing it all manually. Um, then when we came through, we went out to market and were able to achieve a grant um, to be able to build that to the need. And we're rolling that out now into every hospital because a child will have that access to that interaction if they're crying and stressed in an emergency hospital room. Um, you know, in, in Dubbo. So mm. it can be in hundreds and hundreds of hospitals that aren't children's hospitals. Um, so right around the country. So I think that that's really important. And uh, and it, and the other thing you have to have within uh, an innovation culture is you have to have an ability to accept that you're going to fail. In fact, if, you, if there are some things you're doing that aren't working, you're really not trying hard enough. Uh, because if you have that culture where you really got to get things right and it doesn't accept that things don't work, uh, then you're never going to have an innovative culture. And there are a lot of cultures around where there is a fear that you can't do things that don't work. And yeah. the thing is you learn 10 times as much from something that doesn't quite go according to plan as something that, that hits all its markets. So mm. having that culture where you accept the fact that sometimes when you try those things. And the other thing is you don't have to, I think that, you know, being agile has really helped us to accept that you don't have to build something right the way through to uh, before you test it. I'll give you an example of this. When children in, are in hospital, they need to sign in and out of our Starlight Express rooms. Years ago, that used to be paper-based. Obviously, we moved it to an electronic system. And kids who are regulars in the hospital get like a frequent flyer card that they can tap into the room. But it means at any moment in time, we know everyone who's in our Starlight Express rooms right around the country. Um, and that helps us with rostering and seeing when we have low points, doing how many captains start, how many team members do we need to have on at that moment in time? When are the adolescents using it? So our live wire teams in hospital, it impacts them. So it gives us lots of information that's useful as well. Um, however, when we were first trialing that, we were going to a higher level. And for example, we had down 
um, I'm I'm part of a starlight, I'm part of starlight or I'm a starlight guest. We all thought the children were the starlight guests. Children were signing into the room saying I'm part of starlight because they feel so much part of the community. <laughs> and we were thinking, how cool are these team members that are signing in? Like, you know, um, they weren't team members at all, but they think they're part of starlight and they don't consider themselves that, that they're a visitor. So we had to change our language. Now, if we had built the whole system based on that, we would never have learned that. But if you go 25% an hour, you'll learn a lot, especially if you kind of um, co-design <laughs> and um, can have a situation where you do that. So so back to that listening thing again, I think that's really important for innovation. I think having the process that you don't all run at that first solution is really important. And I think having a minimum viable product where you can learn and iterate and move along with your customers involved will teach you so much more. And acceptance of failure. Now, if you fail doing the same thing multiple times, that's just stupid, okay? But you need to have that ability where if you don't, if that doesn't work, it's going, okay, it didn't work. Oh, why? What did we learn from that? If you move straight to that, then you'll have people who will try to be creative and innovate. Mm. No, well said. And I just wanted a quick moment because I feel like a lot of people say that innovation culture if you don't fail then you're not trying hard enough and obviously the definition of stupid you captured really well there but do you have one off the top of your head where you did fail and doesn't even have to be lessons but just to really give that and drive that home around you know we are trying really hard and this is a failure that you're willing to share some you may not be yeah we did look we did some podcasts captain's podcast that was an idea that we had and we trialed them and they just weren't getting traction but we were delivering them direct, but now we learned from that. And now we have the YouTube channel or we have the the interactive because so kids weren't interested in the podcast so, so much. But when we could put it into a channel that they're into and it's fun and entertainment, they use it. So, yeah, we trialed something like that. didn't work. It was like, okay, but it doesn't mean that cat, kids don't want to interact or see Captain Starlight outside of the Starlight Express room. It was just that that was the wrong format and the wrong vehicle probably. Mm. And then that leads you into, it sounds like you're getting that like co-producing, co-designing element from kids building yeah. something with Starlight. Um, do you have a, a strong example? You're sort of saying that's what's happening at YouTube, but uh, are you building any games or anything there where kids, are, you know, got the director's chair or got the writer's chair yeah, where yeah. they're... And we, yeah, and we have, like, I could, I could take you out and show you some fabulous artwork, but we had... Um, cool. Uh, we had our teens in Livewire, they play a lot of cards when they're that age. And so one of them came up with the concept of, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could have some Livewire cards? And then we made it go national. It was like, okay, let's get our te teenagers who are part of Star of Livewire right around the country in hospital to create images they think would work really well on a deck of cards. And then we produced a deck of cards that we use right around the country, the Livewire cards. And they're really coveted. The kids love them because they get that it's all written on the fact that where these mm. came from. So they're really unique playing cards, and um, and uh, yeah. So we so we have that. So that's a great example of a piece of code design. I think it was an idea from them, and how we iterated and worked and actually made it national. And now we have that, and we printed them, and that they're the cards we use in the Starlight Express rooms. Oh, that's beautiful, Louise. That's really cool to hear that that happening. And I'd imagine kids at that time would, uh, yeah, really get a buzz out of seeing something, you know, spread yeah. that way. Yeah, um, no. I appreciate your your time here. There's one last question, and this is from a previous guest, Gary A. Bowles, and he wanted to ask our our next guest. He didn't know who you would be, but what is one thing that you have found that helps you most to motivate others? Oh, 
I think self-care. And one of the, the key parts of post psych is you are no good at looking after anybody else um, uh, until unless you're looking after yourself in the first instance. And I share that with my whole team, and I think that motivates them to recognise that their self-care is a priority. And so, and I'm keen to share. So if I, you know, take some time, we actually give our team three best self days um, in addition to their leave that they can take to do things that top up their cup. Um, so we live it, we breathe it, we, you know, we, we have symbols around it. But I'll share with team members if, you know, I, and then I'm taking some time off to go and play around golf. I share it with them. So I think for me, um, uh, what helps me to motivate others is the fact that to motivate myself, I have to self-care and I'm really big on that. And if others self-care, that's when they can be the best leaders and the best managers that they can possibly have. Unreal. That's really nice to hear you speak about that. Um, now, last question is, do you have a question that you would like to leave for our next guest here as a little passing the baton? Okay. okay. I'd like to know what makes them happy. Love that. Thanks, Louise. Okay, fantastic. It's lovely being chatting to you. I've been your host, Patrick Beggs, founder of Per Production. Until next time.